that we can sup with him and dine with him. There's a place where we can pull away from all the junk of this world and just sit so close to Jesus Christ that we can feel his heartbeat. I don't know about you, but that blesses my soul. Amen. In the midst of everything that's going on out there, that there's a place near him. Amen. Actually, the scripture says that there's a place near me where I can put you on a rock. And that's where we are this evening. Amen. We're not in sinking sand, but we're on a rock because we're in his presence. Can we just bless the praise team and Josh for just paving the way into his presence? Amen. It's good to be in God's house and get back to a series that I started a few weeks ago entitled Words from the Cross. Now, the title of my message this evening is Woman, Here is Your Son. It's the third of seven phrases that Jesus uttered, or at least were recorded in Scripture uh, throughout the Gospels. And tonight, that's what I want to do. I want to get back to that series. It's been a couple weeks at least uh, since we were there, but I want to get back there this evening. Before we do one more time, we just go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Just ask Him to anoint and bless our time together. So, Father, once again, we are just so grateful Uh, to be in your presence, grateful that there is a place, like I said, God, that you invite us to be where we can feel your heartbeat, place where we can sup with you and dine with you. And I thank you that we're in that place this evening, God, that place where you've called us closer to you. And I pray in Jesus name that you would just cause this night to be fruitful and beneficial for all of us. I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would be in supreme control of everything that takes place. God, that you would arrest my mind and fill my mind, that you would arrest my words and fill my words, that you would arrest my heart and fill my heart, and that you would do the same thing for your people as well. Pray, God, that you would come against any hindering spirit, any distraction, any doubt, Father, anything that would cause a disruption or distraction or prevent us from receiving, Father God, every word that you have for us this evening. Thank you, Father, for the words that you're about to speak into our lives. We need your help and we need your spirit in order to speak them and receive them. So we submit ourselves to you tonight. We give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. If you've not been with us, uh, over the last few weeks, or at least during this, the, the last couple of times that I was on this series, what we need to understand is that if the cross is, is that central to our faith, if, if the cross is that critical and that crucial to our faith and our salvation, then I believe then so should the words of Jesus be that were spoken on that cross. Amen? So that's what we're going to continue to look at tonight. We're going to continue to look at the seven phrases or statements that were either uttered or whispered or even shouted by Jesus from Calvary's cross. And in order to quickly catch us up, I'm not going to re-preach them all, but I need to lay a foundation for where we're going in order to catch us up. The first words that were spoken by Jesus from Calvary's cross were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Three words of mercy and three words of grace. Father, forgive them. Three words that were filled with life and filled with freedom. Father, forgive them. How many of you know without these words, we wouldn't be here tonight? Amen. We'd still be lost in sin. But the reality is when Jesus could have condemned us, 
when He could have judged us, when He could have retaliated against us, when He could have shown us His wrath, He offered forgiveness instead. How many of you are thankful for His forgiveness? Amen. So as we've already learned, the first words were spoken to the Father and directed to the heights of heaven when he said, Father, forgive them. The second phrase was directed to the scourge of the earth when he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He spoke those words to a low-life criminal and made to him a promise of eternity. Today, he said, because you repented to this criminal. Today, because you've acknowledged your sin. Today, because you have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that I am your salvation, you will be with me in paradise. How many of you are thankful for that promise as well? That there is a place called paradise when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that He is Lord, that we will be with Him in paradise as well. So what we've learned in the first two phrases is that in one breath He speaks to a holy God, and the next He speaks to sinful man and promises him paradise. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that He is able to speak to God on our behalf. And that He took the time to speak to us as well and made us a promise, a promise of eternal life. Because Jesus said, whosoever believes in Him, amen, would not perish but have everlasting life. Again, how many of you are glad that Christ offered mercy and grace to whosoever, amen? Because the reality is, you were whosoever and I was whosoever, The reality is you were the criminal and I was the criminal. The reality is you were the one lost in sin and I was the one lost in sin. We were the sinners that were saved by grace, all because of Calvary's cross. Amen. So here in the first two phrases, Jesus offers us life. Here in the first two phrases, he enlightens us to the power of cross where we find forgiveness and eternal life. Here in the first two phrases, Jesus becomes the hope of our salvation. Amen. Here on Calvary's cross, he breaks the hold of sin and Satan and he brings us out of darkness into his glorious light. So laying the foundation real quickly in the first word, Jesus speaks as son To the Father above. In the second, he speaks as servant to the sinner beside him. And the third, he speaks as sibling to his family, which is gathered below. And we'll look at that tonight. But in the first word, Jesus speaks from lower ground. And I don't want to get too theological, theological, so I'm just going to lay this out real quick to give us a little bit of understanding. In the first word, Jesus speaks from lower ground. He speaks from a place of humility, calling on His Father above. And what we need to understand is that that's where salvation begins. It begins in a place of humility where we are able to call on our Father above. Salvation begins in that place where we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that he might lift us up. Amen. So the first words come from a place of humility, church, because forgiveness always comes from above and it always and only is offered to those who come to him with a broken and contrite heart, who humble themselves in his sight so that he can lift them up. 
The second word is spoken from equal ground. It's spoken to a criminal that is beside him. First, he directs his attention to the father. Next, he directs his attention to the criminal beside of him. Because remember, even though Jesus came in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, the Bible says. But he emptied himself and he took on our likeness. He took on our image, the Bible says. He actually became you and me. He, he didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he put on our flesh. The Bible says that it was here where he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So here in the second word, Jesus becomes equal to us and speaks to the sinner next to him. Remember, this is where he takes our place and becomes our sin substitute. Amen? It's where he became sin so that we could become, like I said, the righteousness of God. It was equal ground where he took on our form and died for us. Remember, it was on equal ground where he spoke to the prostitute. It was on equal ground where he spoke to the tax collector. It was on equal ground where he spoke to the woman that was caught in adultery. And here on Calvary's cross in the second phrase, he is on equal ground and speaks to the sinner. Again, I don't know about you and I don't want to become too theological, but there, became, there was a place in your life and in my life where Jesus came to equal ground with you and me and he spoke to us. That was on equal ground. He lowered himself and he brought himself down. He took on our flesh. He took on our image. And he spoke to us in the midst of our sin. Amen. That's what took place in the second phrase on Calvary's cross. But here in the third word, the third word that Jesus speaks, he speaks from higher ground. It's a word to his friends and family that are below him. He speaks not from a place of humiliation as the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers or the Roman uh, leaders intended for the cross to be, but rather Jesus hanging on the cross speaks from a place of glory. Because how many of you know it was on the cross where Jesus was glory or God was glorified? Amen. And it's because of the cross that Jesus was glorified as well. The truth is, these words came from an exalted place. The words that we're going to look at tonight, the third phrase that came from Jesus' mouth, they came from a high and lifted up place. Because remember, Jesus said, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Amen. And it's exactly what Jesus does here in this third phrase that we're going to look at in John chapter 19, 25 through 27. It's here where he draws us unto himself. It's here where Jesus speaks to and establishes the family of God. Here he creates a spiritual union to who's between whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It's here with this third phrase and here in this place where he makes room for our adoption into the kingdom of God. And this is what it says. Now that I've laid that foundation and probably got you all worked up with theology, but this is what he said. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So there's three Marys standing there. Must have been a common name, amen? 
When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his house. This was the third phrase that was recorded of Jesus while he was on Calvary's cross. And the first thing that I want you to look at is verse 25, where it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. And before I go any further, how many of you know that when we draw near to God... He draws near to us. Amen. That when we draw near to God, he speaks to us like family. He treats us like family. He takes care of us like family and he makes us part of his family. When we draw near to God, God said, when you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You see, the reality is there comes a point in time in every one of our lives as a sinner and even as a saint where we need to draw near unto God. And when we do, he speaks to us like he spoke to his mother, like he spoke to his family. When we draw near to God, we open up the line of communication, church, where he can treat us like family and receive us like family and adopt us into his family as well. But here near the cross. So near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary. Again, I want you to notice that the Bible says near the cross. Not a far off. She wasn't at a distance, but she was near him. She was close by. She was within distance to hear his voice, whether it was a whisper or just a call. Again, when, when someone's going, understand that when someone's going through the crucifixion, crucifixion, it's a difficult thing for them to talk. So I don't know if he shouted these words. There's only one verse that he shares, which we'll get to in the coming weeks, where he actually shouts out. But here he has a conversation. So she must have been close enough to hear him. You see, the reality is if you want to hear from God, you've got to be near to God. If you want to hear his voice, you've got to be near God. You can't be afar off. You've got to be willing to draw near unto him like she did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, the one who gave birth to him, the one who raised him, the one who took care of all the little cuts and the scratches and the scrapes and the bruises of of Jesus's childhood now stands at the foot of the cross, unable to help him. She's unable to mend his battered body. She's unable to comfort him in the most desperate time of need. She's unable to wrap her loving arms around him like she did for most of Jesus' life. She's she's unable to, to tend to him. She's unable to demonstrate her love and affection for him. She's unable to whisper in his ears like she did when she was a, when he was a, a little child. She's unable to uh, to wipe or kiss his his bleeding brow. This is where she is. She's unable. To, unable to tend to him like she did over so many years of his life. But what I want to point out is that the fact that she was still there, she was still near him and she was still beside him exactly where a mother belongs. You see, this passage is all about family. It's all about being a faithful family member, spiritually and earthly. So the first thing that I want you to understand is that even though she couldn't help him, she was there. She was right by his side, exactly where a mother belongs, exactly where family belongs, right by one another's side. 
You see, if you're part of a family member, you belong right beside your family. In good times and bad, in happy times and sad, where we belong as family is right beside one another, just like Mary was right beside her suffering son. You see, if there was ever a time that your family needs you is when you're going, when you're, when you're suffering, when they're suffering. And this is just a reflection of what Jesus is trying to teach us about the importance of family church. Here, Mary stands watching her son die a horrible death. And here the prophecy of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 is fulfilled. This all comes together for a reason, and I'm sharing it for a reason as well. What you have to remember is that when Jesus was a baby, when he was only eight years old, the prophet Simeon Simeon spoke these words directly to Mary and he said this, Behold, the child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against and railed against. And a sword shall pierce through your own soul as well. And here standing near her son, Here standing near the cross, 33 and a half years later, 33 and a half years after this prophecy, the pain of that prophecy was fulfilled in her life. Here standing at the foot of Jesus Christ and watching him be crucified, she felt the pain and anguish like never before. Ten times greater than the pain that she endured when she gave birth to her son, her heart felt a pain that was ten times greater than any pain she ever experienced as her son hung dying on Calvary's cross. I share all that because how many of you know that there is a sword that pierces deeper than any sharpened iron? The reality is in this life, there is a sword that pierces dear, that has the power to pierce deep into our heart, that has the power to deep, uh, pierce deep into our soul, to cause anguish and hurt. It's able to uh, almost bring us to complete ruin. There's a sort of bitterness and disappointment that can crush us and nearly destroy us. A sword that we don't have the power to stop on our own, just like Mary could not stop what was happening on Calvary's cross. So it was here I'm painting a picture where her heart was pierced through with the pain of that prophecy, just like Simeon said. But we have to understand that it was also here, hanging on the cross, where Jesus seeing her anguish and Jesus seeing her pain and Jesus seeing the agony of her heart forgets all about his own pain and forgets all about his suffering. And he focuses on her and he speaks to her as well. You see, the reality is, as Jesus hung on the cross... From the moment he got on the cross, it was all about you and me. From the moment he, he, he went and was whipped and beaten and battered, from the moment he knelt down in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Not my will, but thy will be done. It was all about you and it was all about me. In the first words that he spoke, Father, forgive them. He looked past his own pain and looked past his own suffering to your need and my need for forgiveness. He forgot all about his own pain and suffering. And he saw the pain and the suffering that we would one day go through. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looked past his own pain and he looked past his own suffering when he made a promise to a common criminal right beside of him. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
It wasn't about him. It was never about him. It was always about you and me. And here, in the midst of his pain and his suffering, in the midst of his anguish, he sees the anguish and the pain and the suffering of his mother. And he speaks to her. He forgets all about him. Listen to me. That's what family is all about. You might feel like you're yourself going through hell and high water, but when someone in your family is suffering, we've got to be willing to forget about ourselves and concentrate on that individual and speak into their life and be near to them like Mary was near to Jesus. I hope you understand what, what is being taught here at church. It was here where he forgot all about himself and he focuses on her. It says he saw her and then he speaks to her as well. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. In the most hopeless moment of Jesus' life, Jesus provides for her future. In the most hopeless moment of His life, He provides for your future and my future. In the most hopeless moment of His life, Jesus forgets about Himself and He provides for the future of the church as well. In the midst of His misery, Jesus made sure that it was well with our soul. In the first three verses, in the first three comments that Jesus utters in the midst of his pain, he makes sure that it is well with our soul. He offers forgiveness so it'll be well with our soul. He offers us eternal life so it'll be well with our soul. And he makes sure that we understand that we are part now of the family of God. In the first three phrases, he makes sure that it is well with our soul. I don't know about you, but that excites me. It allows me to understand what was going on in Jesus' mind. Even while he was suffering on the cross, the only thing he wanted was to make sure that it was well with your soul and well with my soul. That when the clouds roll back, that when the trumpet sounded, that when the angel of the Lord descended with a shout, that it would be well with our soul and that we would go up with the family of God. It was here with this phrase, and I'll teach you a little bit more about it, but when he said, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother, he did something natural and he did something supernatural, but he brought us together and he assured us a place in the kingdom of God. He assured us a place as a son and daughter of the Most High God. It's where he adopted us, church. It's where he adopted us and brought us into the family of God. Amen? So here in the third utterance, Jesus does two things. Like I said, one's natural, one is supernatural. One is earthly and one is heavenly. In the natural, the first thing he does is remind us of the importance of family, just like I said, our earthly family. Here he reminds us that it is the family's responsibility to care for one another like he cared for his mother. You see, what you have to realize is that at this point, Mary had been a widow for uh, three or four years. 
Her husband had passed away, and according to Jewish law or tradition, the eldest son, who was Jesus, was the one responsible for taking care of her, to provide for her, to watch over her, to to, uh, bring sustenance to her. It was his responsibility to, to make sure that she was well taken care of according to Jewish tradition. It was Jesus' responsibility. So here upon Jesus' pending death, he has to make sure that his earthly mother will be well cared for when he's gone. He has to make sure that his mother will be well tended to and well provided for when he passes away, when he is no more. And so he says, dear woman, here is your son, Jesus says, pointing his attention to John. And then he says to the disciple, John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his house just like she was family. And she was cared for from that day on, the Bible says. Jesus made sure his mother would be well taken care of. Because that's what our earthly family should be. And that's what our earthly family should do for one another. Amen? The truth is, instead of traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, like she traditionally did at that time of the year, because Passover was taking place, if you remember, while Jesus was hanging on the cross. That's why they call Him the Passover Lamb. Because He filled our place. And I don't want to get too theological there, but the Bible tells us, it tells us in Scripture that every Passover, every year, Mary would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. But here, she's by Jesus' side. Here, she's with Jesus. Instead of traveling to Jerusalem, Mary was there for her son. On that dark and terrible day, she was with him and she was near him. And as family, so should we be. The reality is we should daily be fulfilling our duties as a faithful mother and a faithful father. We should always be there for our children, whether they're little, when they're middle-aged, and when they're older as well. I don't know about you, I got, I got three kids, and I thought it was hard when they were little. Man, the older they got, the harder it got. The older they got, the more painful it got. The, harder it, or the older they got, the more hurtful it got. But here's my point. Mary was there, and so should we be. Even when it's painful, even when it breaks our heart, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, we must be there, church, like Mary was, because that's what faithful family does. They are there. They're there through the thick. They're there through the thin. Know about you, and if you have kids, I know you know the story. I know you know that there are painful times in raising our kids. There's times where we feel like packing up and running off. There's there's times where we feel like packing them up and kicking them off or sending them off. Now listen, the reality is sometimes we, we might need to do that. But my point is simply this. God is calling us to be faithful parents. He's calling us to always be there for our kids, whether they're young or whether they're old, in their painful moments, in their glorious moments, in the sad moments, in the happy moments. He wants us to be faithful to our family. And He wants us to be there even when it hurts and even when it's hard. The reality is Jesus was there for us as well. 
The reality is Jesus, just like Mary was there for Jesus, Jesus was there for Mary. The Catholic Church has a different teaching, and I'm not here to bash on them. But the reality is Mary needed Jesus just like we did. The reality is Mary needed a Savior just like we did. The reality is Mary needed a propitiation for her sins just like we did. Because Mary wasn't sinless, even though the Catholic Church has been preaching that since 1850. The reality is Mary wasn't sinless. She was a sinful creature born in sin just like you and I were. And she needed a Redeemer just like we did. So Jesus, just like Mary was there for Jesus, Jesus was hanging in there for His mother. He didn't want to just make sure she was taken care of on this earth, that she had food in her mouth and food in the cupboard and a house over her head. He needed to make sure that his mother was eternally secure as well. So in the midst of his pain and in the midst of his suffering, he hung in there for his mother, Mary. In the midst of his pain and his suffering, he hung in there for you and me as well. Jesus Hung in there, even when it hurt. Even when it was hard. Even when it was filled with pain, Jesus hung in there, church. Please remember, Jesus could have easily gotten down from the cross. He could have easily bailed out on us. He could have easily not spoken up for us to His Father. And said, forgive them, Father. He could have easily not spoken to us or to the criminal beside him. He could have spoken to the criminal and said, you deserve exactly what you're getting. He could have gotten down from the cross. He could have turned his back on us. He could have walked his way, walked away from us. He could have ignored us, but he didn't. He hung in there. He stayed right there for us, church. And he's calling us to do the same exact thing. Listen, I know a lot of individuals, when it gets rough in marriage, they take off running. When it gets rough in their household and it gets rough within their family, they take off running. They don't know how to hang in there. But what Jesus is teaching us here is even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when it feels like we're hanging on a cross ourselves, we've got to hang in there. We've got to persist and we've got to pursue because that's what family does. And that's what this scripture is teaching us. The faithfulness of family, church. Truth is, Mary was there for her son, like I said, and her son was there for her as well. Because that's what family does. It doesn't bail out when the going gets rough or when things get tough. Family is faithful and it cares for one another. Amen even when it hurts, but especially when it hurts. Throughout my fatherhood, there been plenty of times where I've experienced hurt and plenty of times where I've experienced the pain of my young ones coming to adulthood. My wife and I have experienced plenty of painful and sleepless nights as our children uh, began to mature and mature in the Lord. And I know I'm not the only one speaking the truth. 
I know there's a lot of you out there that have gone through painful, sleepless nights just thinking about your children and worrying about your children. But the fact and the reality is it's in those painful moments and those sadful, sorrowful moments and those sleepless moments where we cannot turn our back on them when we've got to be there for them like Jesus was there for us. We have to be there, church. We might not be able to be right up by their side, but we need to be there in our love. We need to be there in spirit. We need to be there with them in our prayers, if you understand what I'm saying. Understand, every day we should be faithfully fulfilling the role of a faithful mother and father. Every day we should be fulfilling the role of a faithful husband and wife, church, even when it's rough, even when it's tough. Every day we should be fulfilling the role of a faithful son and a faithful daughter, honoring our mother and father, even when we get older, church. The Bible didn't say honor your mother and father up until you're 20 years old. Didn't say honor your mother and father up until you're 30 years old. The Bible tells me that we are to honor our mother and father. And just because they get old, we shouldn't be quick to put them out the pasture and then turn our back on them. We need to honor them, church. At whatever age it might, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about faithful family. He's talking about having a faithful relationship with the ones we call mom and dad and brother and sister or husband and wife. Honoring our mother and father like Christ honored his, especially on Calvary's cross. So the simple truth that's being taught is that family needs to be there for one another. Even if we're separated by miles, even if we're separated by seas, the reality is we need to be faithful to our family because family matters. Amen? And that's exactly why Jesus said what he did. Because in his eyes, family is important. Because in his eyes, family is priority. The reality is Jesus wasn't in this, in this verse and in this passage. Jesus wasn't just talking about earthly family. Jesus here created the family of God as well. And as I wrap up the rest of this message, that's what I want to look at. Because if you look at the passage, notice Jesus doesn't call Mary mother. He refers to her with the endearing expression of dear woman. The passage says woman, but it means dear woman. It's not a... It's not a uh, negative connotation and it's not a shunning comment it's an endearing phrase and it's an endearing title dear woman he says but he doesn't call her mother there's a difference church you also have to notice that he doesn't entrust her care to his earthly brothers either as tradition would have it because tradition would be that if the eldest son passed away that the responsibility and the care of the mother would then fall to the next eldest brother Jesus had brothers, but here Jesus looks past blood relations and here Jesus talks past blood relations and he makes and creates a much wider family, which is the family of God. So not only is he talking about the faithfulness of earthly family here with these comments, he's expanding family. He's making the family bigger and wider and he creates the family of God. Here Jesus is doing far more than being nice to his mother and providing for his mother and hoping to take care of his mother. He was creating a new community and a family that was brought together only to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is the only way you can be brought together 
as the family of God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. The only way you can be my brother and the only way you can be my sister in the Lord is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when we stand together at the cross, we are brought together as the family of God. When we stand together at the foot of Jesus Christ, we are knit together as the body of Jesus Christ. When we stand together at the foot of Jesus Christ, we become one body with one Father. And that is Jesus Christ or or God the Lord. Either are they're the same in the one. Amen? But here's what we have to understand. The only way... That we can come into the family of God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. If you've never been to the cross, if you've never drawn near to Jesus, if you've never drawn near to, to, to Jesus Christ, if you've never asked for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've, if you've never recognized Him and asked Him to remember you when He comes into His kingdom, then you cannot be part of the family of God. Please understand, coming to church doesn't make us part of the family of God. The reality is coming to a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday night service doesn't make us part of the family of God. Coming to a Bible study doesn't make you part of the family of God. Coming to a prayer meeting and all these things are great doesn't make you part of the family of God. Singing in a choir, playing on a piano, or serving in one of our ministries does not make you part of the family of God. Having your name on a church membership roll does not make you part of the family of God. It makes you part of some earthly organization and it makes you part of a ministry and it makes you part of a choir. And it makes you part of a certain group of people, but it does not make you part of the family of God. There's only one thing that makes you part of the family of God, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only thing and the only place where you can be adopted into the family of God is at the foot of Jesus Christ where you yield yourself to the Father. That's where we become brothers and sisters in the Lord. You see, the sad reality is there's a lot of individuals in the house of God who think because their name is on a roll or they're singing in the choir or they're serving on some uh, team that they're automatically part of the family of God. That I got a ticket to heaven and that my eternity is secure and that it's well with my soul because I'm in a position. It's not true. You can be in a thousand ministries in the house of God. You can sing real great and play real great and serve real great. But unless you've been to the cross, unless you've been covered in the blood that has poured down from the cross, unless you have come to that place near him like Mary did, you cannot be part of the family of God. But this is why Jesus spoke these words, because he wanted to make sure that it was well with our soul. So the reality is, and one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, where do I fall in these first three categories? Have I sought forgiveness? Have I recognized Him as my Savior? As I, have, I, have I asked Him, have I called Him Jesus like the criminal did, Yahweh, the God of my salvation? Remember, that's what the criminal cried out. He called Him by the name of Jesus. He recognized Him as Yahweh, which means the God of my salvation. We have to go through these steps before we can be adopted into his family. 
But when we do all these things, when we learn what the Scripture is teaching us here, then we can say, yes, it is well with my soul. I've been forgiven. I've been promised eternity. And I am part of the family of God. It was here where Jesus became our Father and we became His children, church. Please understand, Galatians 3.28 tells us this, that at the cross there is no Jew nor Gentile. That at the cross there's no slave nor free. That at the cross there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus and part of the family. All because of the cross. All because of what Jesus said here in the third phrase. He made us and created family right here with the third phrase. He brought us together at the feet of Jesus Christ. He crossed over blood relations and he widened his family. And now we can call one another brother and sister in the Lord. Please, you know, when you say that, please don't say it lightly. Hey, brother, this. Hey, sister, that. Hey, brother, this. Hey, sister, that. There's deep meaning to that. Jesus died on Calvary's cross, so I can call you brother. Jesus died and God offered his son on Calvary's cross, so you can call me brother. So that we can be brothers and sisters in the Lord. So what we have to do is understand the depth of what that means. And then really, in my opinion, we got to start living that way. And we got to start acting that way. Not only do we have to be faithful mother and father and faithful husband and wife and faithful son and daughter in a natural sense. We have to become better brothers and sisters in God as well. I believe we got to start loving one another like we're supposed to love one another. Bearing one another's burdens like we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Lifting one another up with good words and blessings like we're supposed to as brothers and sisters of God. We're holy children. We're righteous children. We should be acting like that, church. We shouldn't be bickering with one another and arguing with one another and holding grudges against one another and not forgiving one another. We should be loving one another. This is what this Scripture is teaching us, and it's why Jesus died, so that we could become family one with another. Amen. We need to hear these things, church. We bicker about one another. We gossip about one another. We slam one another. We lie about one another. We envy one another. We're jealous of of one another. When someone drives in in a nice car, instead of blessing them, we curse them. Somebody comes in with a nice three-piece suit and a little bit of bling, we are envious of them instead of thanking God that He blessed them. That's your brother and that's your sister. We need to bless one another. We act like children sometime in the house of God. Amen. Here, through these words of Jesus, here on Calvary's cross, strangers become siblings, church. It's here where we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It's here where He becomes our Father, Abba Father. And we become His children, like I've said. Amen? 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great measure of love has been lavished upon us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. See with what great love, or see what great love the Father has lavished upon us, poured 
out upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. If I got anybody for music, fine. Otherwise, you can put someone in the back and I don't even need that. Amen. But because of those words, we're no longer strangers. We're family. Listen, it amazes me all the time. That at the foot of Jesus Christ, at the foot of the cross, you can take two individuals that have absolutely nothing in common. And they can become the, excuse my uh, grammar, the bestest of friends. The closest of acquaintances. All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Two individuals from completely different areas of life. A rich man and a poor man. A black man and a white man. An educated man and an uneducated man. You understand what I'm saying? Can take two individuals from completely different backgrounds and knit them together as one. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the words that he just spoke, woman, here is your son. And son or disciple, here is your mother. He knit us together and wove us together with those few simple words. He created the family of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that I have a spiritual family, church. I'm thankful because listen to me. Sometimes your earthly family will cut you off and cut you down. Sometimes they'll put you out. Sometimes they'll use you and they'll abuse you, church. Sometimes they could give a flip about you. But a spiritual family should have a different heart. A spiritual family should have a different mission and ministry. Should understand that Jesus died. Jesus died. Please understand. Jesus died. So he could be my brother. So that I could walk into his office and say, Brother Darrell, pray for me. Lift me up. So that I can walk into Nelson's office and say, Nelson, or he can walk into mine. So one of you can pick up the phone and say, Brother Jeff, I need your prayers. I need your help. I need something. You see, I want you to understand that if you think family, earthly family, has a responsibility, spiritual family has even more. Because our spiritual union came about because of the, 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 the cross of Jesus Christ. It cost God something to knit you and me together. You see, as an earthly family, it cost our mother a little bit of pain and a little bit of... I don't want to say a little bit, I want to say a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. I haven't been there. My daughter just had her second baby, and I know she had some pain. Had to get two epidurals to avoid it. That's how much I guess the ladies don't like the pain of childbearing. But when it's done, the pain is gone, amen? Because there's the joy of that birth. And understand, Jesus, please grasp this. Jesus did the same thing. He endured the pain of the cross. So that we could be birthed into his family. Uh, So I hope you realize and appreciate the pain and the suffering that he went through. So that we could be called God's children. 
And that so we could call one another brothers and sisters in the Lord. Listen, if this church is ever to have an impact for the kingdom of God, we got to love one another. We got to care for one another. We got to bear one another's burdens and lift one another up. Jesus said, Jesus said, I, this is my new commandment that you love one another. This is my new command that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so should you love one another. And this, he said, this is how the world will know that you are part of my family. Because you love one another. Because you love one another. What is love? I'm not going to get into it. Love is patient. Man, we got to learn to be patient with one another. Love is kind. we got to start being kind to one another. And I could go on and on and on. Amen? It's faithful. It's long-suffering. It's forgiving. This is what love is, and it's what we need to demonstrate, and it's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this third phrase that He utters from the cross. Before He passes away, Jesus wants to make sure that it's not just well with our soul and that we are well with God. He wants to make sure we're well with one another as well. Amen? He wants to make sure that the family of God is healthy, that the family of God is vibrant, that the family of God understands its responsibility one for another. Amen? Listen, how many of you are thankful for the family of God? I just want you to stand to your feet and give God praise for that. Amen? Stand to your feet. Come on, let's just bless Him for what He's done. Here's what I'm going to end with. <clears throat> Lastly, in John 19:26 to 27, Jesus said to her mother, said to her, his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And she's pointing to John, the disciple. Well, he's not pointing because remember, his hands are nailed up on the cross. But he's drawing her attention to John. Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he looks back and says, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. In other words, from that day on, she became part of John's family, knit together at the foot of Calvary's cross. And in the same way, when we come to Christ, in the same way, when we come together at the foot of the cross, he knits us together as well. And from that day on, we become part of his family. And from that day on, his home is our home. Just like John's home became Mary's home because they were knit together through the words and the work of Jesus Christ, so too does his home become our home. I don't care what kind of home you live in now. You're part of the family of God. And you got a home in glory that outshines anything here on this earth. Amen. All because of what Jesus did and all because of what Jesus said. How many of you are glad that you're part of God's household? Amen. Mi ca- How's that say in the Spanish? Mi casa, your casa or something like that? Mi casa, your casa? means my castle, your castle, my home, your home. That's what Jesus was saying right here. When we come together at the foot of the cross, what's His is ours. What's ours is His. That's the way it has to be. So the reality is there might be some of you tonight that maybe you're, maybe you've never come to the cross. Maybe you've never been united with Christ. 
Maybe you've never found your way into the family of God. And if that's you tonight, that can happen. All you have to do is come to the cross. All you have to do is ask for forgiveness. And all you have to do is ask to be remembered. That's pretty easy. Amen. Come to the cross. Ask for forgiveness. Ask to be remembered. That's that's what the criminal did. And God said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he made him part of his family. A guy that lived his whole life in sin in one moment became part of the family of God. If you're here tonight without Jesus, you can be part of the family of God. If you're outside of the family of God, all you got to do is ask for forgiveness and say, God, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he'll make you part of the, part of the family. Amen. Again, how many are you thankful for the kingdom? How many are you thankful for family? How many are you thankful for your home? Here's how I'm going to pray. If you want to be part of the family of God, well, I'm just going to pray. You don't have to repeat after me, but very simply, I'm going to tell you now what you need to pray when I'm praying. God, I recognize my sin. I recognize you as my Savior. I'm asking you to make me part of your family. It's that quick. It's that simple. If you pray that prayer when I pray, make sure you tell somebody before you leave that you have now become part of the family of God. We want to rejoice with you and celebrate with you. But otherwise, we're just going to pray and thank God for being part of his family. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for the truth. I thank you, Lord God, that at Calvary's cross, you made sure it was well with our soul. What we've learned so far, God, is you've offered us forgiveness, and I praise you for that forgiveness. You've promised us paradise, and I thank you for your promise, Father God. Because your promises are yes and amen to those who believe, Father. And I thank you that there is a place in paradise that we can be. As long as we trust in you, as long as we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that you are Jesus, that you are Yahweh, that you are the God of our salvation, you bring us into your family. I thank you that you've adopted us, Father God, that you are our Father and we are your children. But God, I thank you for that, God. But I'm asking and praying tonight that we would understand the importance and the priority of family because that's what this message was all about. God, if we're not being a faithful father and a faithful mother, I pray that you would change that tonight. Pray that you would move on our heart. You would cause us, Father God, to understand our role in the household. I pray, Father God, if we're not being a faithful husband or a faithful wife, that you would change that tonight. That you would cause us to understand, Father God, that that even though it might hurt and even though it might be painful and though it might be hard, we need to hang in there just like you did. Because family is that important. Because you've ordained a family, Father God. You've made it so. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, even beyond the earthly family, that on the, the side of the spiritual family, that you would help us to love one another, that you would help us to fulfill that new command that we would love one another like you loved us and gave yourself for us, God. And that because of the love that we have for one another, this world would be able to see that we're part of a different family, a spiritual family, a bigger family, and a a wider family, and that is the family of God. Lord, if we've not been a faithful brother, a faithful sister in the family of God, I pray that you would forgive us, God. Forgive us for our bickering. Forgive us for our divisions. Forgive us for our unforgiving spirit. Forgive us for jealousy and for envy. Forgive us, Father God, for lying or slander. Forgive us for anything that we're holding against our brothers and sisters, God. And help us to understand what it cost you 
for us to be brothers and sisters and to be able to call one another brother and sister. So fill us with a spirit of love, I pray. Change us, I pray. By the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, God. And as we go forth from this day forward, help us to act like children of God. And help us to love one another in that way. I give you the praise and I give you the glory, Father. And any other need that's represented in this house, I pray that your divine touch, Father God, uh, would just minister healing, minister hope, Lord. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that hasn't been part of your family, I pray that they have prayed that prayer, that they, they have asked to be part of your family, asked for forgiveness, asked for you to remember them, God. And if that's the case, I thank you, Lord, that today is the day of their salvation, that today they are now part of the family of God and they can call us brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we give you the praise for that, God, as we go. Be a hedge about us. Keep us safe in our travels and our journeys. And I pray that you would help us to be a blessing to those around us. We give you the thanks and we give you the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless Him one more time, church? Amen. If you have a special need, we'll tarry with you, pray with you. Otherwise, seriously, go love one another in the Lord. Amen.